It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. I'm Gab Marcotti. Welcome to the game. And can I please start by saying I've spoken to the editor. I have his full confidence and my position is not at risk. I wish I could say the same about Rory K. Smith, who joins me today, along with Tony Cascarino and, of course, Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be discussing Harry's Odyssey and looking at England's third best team, West Bromwich Albion. Or are they? We'll also review the big money clash between Manchester City and Chelsea. In fact, let's do that straight away. Ali, Rafa, Bood. Um, I think we have to start with that because it happened before the game. Now, I, I watched this game on television, and it was interesting because when Sky Sports News had the cameras out there when Rafa was appointed, you know, the guy made like a big song and dance about the fact, oh, I can't find a single Chelsea fan who will say anything nice about Rafa. And, you know, he's doing his silly Vox Pops. Um, this time I saw the package before, and funnily enough, they did find, I guess they had like a couple days to do it, they found a bunch of... Um, Individuals um, portraying Chelsea fans who uh, who talked about well the change had to be made and well Rafa's got a good record and so on. Um, were you surprised by the reaction that was so vehement? Well, I, I, I was disappointed. I don't think I, I would say I was surprised. I, I think this is the way people are now. They they, they convince themselves that, that that something is bad and, and they are they are they, they, they want to vent their displeasure before they've even given it a chance. I think Matt Dickinson made a very pertinent comparison uh, in this morning times about George Graham when he took over at Spurs. Uh, at the time, he had an Arsenal crest built into his patio, and yet he got mild wounds from a few people and was then sort of generally ignored for for, for, for the next year. Um, whereas Benitez, you know, it just seems like people are so much more rabid now and, and more make their rabid feelings known in a, a very rabid manner. Not just at Chelsea, but, but elsewhere. But that, that is a very, very difficult environment for any manager and therefore any team to, to function. Um, Cass, I, I don't know if I fully agree with Ollie when he added the word now in there. Um, I remember years ago when George Graham, in fact, the lovable George Graham, was linked to Chelsea. I remember sort of um, you know entire stadium singing, "You can stick George Graham up your arse." Mm-hmm. Now that was pre Abramovich and pre Abramovich's money and things like that. Um, is there something wrong with with disliking 
mm. somebody because of because of your history, because of your. I mean, leave aside whether I don't want to get into whether he's he's a good manager, the right man for the job. We'll have plenty of time to mm. talk about that. But I mean, they obviously weren't booing because they thought Rafa Benitez is a bad manager for Chelsea. They were booing because they simply don't like the guy mm. because of his past. And I'm wondering, and and they've made these feelings known before mm. when he was linked to the job before. Um, should the owner have maybe taken that into account that ultimately he is selling a product and if his customers don't like part of that product that mm. well it's it's a problem that he probably didn't think about and you know association with a a leading club a successful club like George Graham had when he was with Arsenal um, you have rivals there's rivalry in football and obviously Tottenham and Chelsea and Liverpool and Man United and you know some some management posts are very difficult to appease the fans it's very difficult it's not appeasing the fans it's about you have somebody we tell you we don't like this guy and then you bring him here to manage I mean that's all I'm saying it's like from a you're an owner you're selling a product is that should, should you take into account. Well, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, well, you should do, yeah, because you might find if it backfires that people might not readily want to come to the stadium and watch the games and make their feelings. It can make it a very... I was at the bridge yesterday and it was a strange atmosphere for a new manager to walk into and feel that he's not wanted straight away. And uh, Alex McLeish was at the first game he did for Villa and it was exactly the same. Um, maybe even more with the Villa fans, how they felt towards McLeish. It's difficult to... Uh, I think it's a very negative way of uh, for the everybody involved for for him to succeed what will he really have to do and even winning all the games I mean Chelsea fans have said many different reasons why they don't like him not just because of the feeling of Liverpool and the rivalry between the two clubs when they were both challenging uh, especially in clashes in Champions League but the feeling towards him he wasn't he's no, there was no warmth to even a manager I think it's you're going to get that when other big clubs you get one of their managers and they've had success somewhere else it just doesn't seem the feeling is wanted you you say that but I mean I'm just imagining here right Arsene Wenger has been a rival of Chelsea's for a long time Mm. now if he were to magically walk up at Stamford Bridge I don't imagine he would get the reaction that Rafa got well the slight difference is the brand of football that a lot of Chelsea fans might feel that yes we'd love to have an adventurous style manager I think you can slightly give a bit more leeway uh, but that would count for nothing Gab if results went the wrong way I mean you've got fans at Arsenal criticising Wenger at the moment and the, the, the booing of the substitutions no, of course yeah, so I mean, you know is, you, is the more apt parallel not with what would happen if Wenger turned up at Man United at Ferdy Twits and, and Wenger is appointed as replacement there's been a lot of really bad blood between Mm. United fans and, and Wenger but they'd probably welcome him I would guess as Wenger's had proven success maybe not well, the last seven years but he's won, won the title well, it's funny because I, I, on, on that point though sometimes you just get that I think it's part of the reason we love it. I mean I remember when uh, we were talking to our boss Tony Evans who I don't think I'm I'm revealing any secrets here is has a slight um, affection for Liverpool, uh, and a few years ago we were we were discussing possible future Liverpool managers, and you know I foolishly said, well, Mark Hughes is doing well and blah blah blah, and you know it was like I I told him like you know you were going to get some weird disease to your genitals, you know I he's just like no no you could never have Mark Hughes blah blah because now. This is obviously Hughes, former United player. Now, this is it would be like if Gary Neville became head of PR at, at, at Liverpool, right? I mean, oh, he couldn't do worse than the last guy. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, with Hughes, Christian Perslow approached Hughes when he was at when he was at City, I think. Christian Perslow met Hughes in Lisbon, and that Liverpool fans found out. And Mark Hughes' CV, which encompasses in, in, in Manchester United, Chelsea, and Everton, amazing. They w- they weren't. 
they weren't sort of delighted about that prospect and I'm sure that if Mark Hughes had been appointed Liverpool manager they would have booed but, the, but is this the, a bad thing though? There is a different well it's not fans have a right to have an opinion and they have a right yeah. to, to express that opinion the, the excellent point the other excellent point that Dicko makes in the paper today is that a lot of what they're blaming Benitez for isn't Benitez's fault some of it's wrong There's this, like, they've conflated mm. the idea that they don't like him so he is a bad manager that's not true that you do not like him and he, he can be a bad manager but one doesn't necessarily lead to the other but the other thing is that all, all Benitez has done is answer a phone call to, pick, to, take, to take a vacancy he'd be a moron not to take the Chelsea mm. job he's been out of work for two years it's, the it's, man they need to be angry with is Abramovich who's mm. completely ignored well, their faults well, well, we'll get to for one time just, just quickly on Benitez because you, you, you've, you've worked with him um, you know you know him I, now I've, I know him a little bit too, and I've spoken to people, and everybody I've spoken to says that if there's one guy who's not going to be affected at all just because he's so monomaniacal about his work, um, it's Rafa Benitez. By the same token, though, there's another school of thought that says if there's one guy who wakes up early in the morning and reads all the newspapers to see what people are writing about him, it's Rafa Benitez. Yeah, and funny if I think... So which Rafa is it going to be? The media's been relatively kind towards him, I think. So so far, it's the fans that seem to really dislike him. A lot of the, the papers have said that, you know, he's, mm. he's, he's handled it as well as he can. He's been relatively diplomatic. I mean, I, I, yeah, there's no there's no point in me pretending I'm not... I, I would like Rafa to succeed as I, I like him as a bloke. Not but, because you want Chelsea to succeed. Well, I'm completely neutral towards Chelsea, as you know, Gab. But no, I want Rafa to do well because he's a nice fella. I, the, the diff, the, yeah. I think I think the structure at Chelsea probably probably works for him because he knows there's no there's no one to fight against because you're not going to beat Abramovich. It, the question is if, if he, as Tony says, if you have that atmosphere, it, it does transmit to the team and yeah. it will it will prevent him succeeding. Managers at Chelsea have been left in no doubt that Abramovich wants them to manage in a certain way, and I, I can't see Abramovich's way being Benitez's way. I, I can't see Abramovich's way working being Benitez's way of working. So I don't. Benitez has had a, a few days where he's enjoyed telling Michael Amanalo his, his strategy on football, telling, you know, showing journalists you know, exactly why his own marking does work, getting Lucas A bottles out and doing it at the training ground at the press conference, etc. He'll enjoy all that. He won't enjoy it when after the first defeat he's got, you know, he's, he's having the same conversations with Amanalo or, or whoever and, and the feedback is well the boss doesn't like this the boss doesn't want you to do it this way the boss wants you to do it that way it's it's I, I, I think it's it's almost doomed now it says Fernando Torres here on my on my script um because I so I guess we need to talk about it I did write the script I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote it because does anybody have anything original to say about this guy and the whole notion that because he did well with Rafa Benitez, I mean, maybe they should hire one of the 27 people who who uh, worked with him at Atletico Madrid when he was doing really well too. The, the I mean, you were you were a top flight center forward. <laughs> did you can a manager flick a switch, or did you never play as badly uh, as Rafa did as uh, as Fernando has been playing? Well, I. I Probably moving it forward. Relative to your peak, I mean, <laughs> no disrespect. Probably moving it forward, Gab, is going to be the the reaction from the fans now towards Torres for the next two, three, four months of his performances. I mean, he joined Chelsea at 26, he's just 28. He looks, we're all disappointed because we all saw such a good player at Liverpool. And that's been the biggest thing for me is right, can you recapture what you were? And for 20 months, we've saw, saw the odd glimpse, and that's been it. And then it's gone to back to disappointment. And 
I do get the feeling is the, the biggest thing I, I'm looking at now is what are the fans going to be like to him? Because we're all talking about Rafa and the own and the blame and that. There's a lot of Chelsea fans who have finally run out of patience with Torres. Well, the, 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 the fans have backed him from the start. I want to get no, that's up. changing, Gab. That is definitely changing. I think well, Tass is right. I think Tass is right. I think they're, lo- they're losing patience to an extent well, with Torres. Yeah. I think we understand that Torres is the reason that Facal is not there and Torres is the reason yeah. that Drogba mm-hmm. isn't there. Then you can kind of see why people might get annoyed. Uh, I mean, I certainly would have turned on him a lot sooner. Uh, and the fact that this is also the gentleman who immediately after they win the Champions League, what does he do in the mix zone um, in Munich? All of you were there. He calls the media over to tell them how, how unhappy he is at the club and things mm-hmm. had better change. But anyway... Um, Ollie, I, I want to get you on this because um, I, I read this good stat, which um, comes from a journalist at another newspaper, but he is one of my favorites. Yes, Mr. Neil Ashton, who came up with this number, um, which apparently uh, Chelsea's management had pointed out to uh, um, to Bradley before, that I think it was 69% of Torres' goals at Liverpool came on on uh, sort of through balls from deep and if you look at the fact that he had Gerard and Xabi Alonso feeding him those are two pretty good passers from deep now unless Chelsea want to put Oscar in front of the back four and sort of fast forward into the future they don't have anybody who can do that there's nobody you wouldn't say that's Mikel's strength or Ramirez's mm-hmm. strength or, 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 or Lampard's strength indeed um is that a problem is that the kind of sort of obvious sort of the moment that you know maybe football clubs should pick up on well, I, I remember having that conversation with Tony Barrett the, almost the day of the transfer. We, we, we were saying Chelsea had not set up at all to play for to, to Torres' strength, and, and I think Tony might ended up with writing something on, on, on those grounds. And it, I mean, I, I, I like the point you made about Oscar. I, I completely agree. I, I think he's a player who will ultimately be better in a deeper position. I also think that uh, Mata is a player who is better in a central role behind the striker and push it out wide to accommodate Oscar. So maybe there's, there, there are things that they can move around there. But in terms of Torres and Liverpool, he, he scored an, an extraordinary variety of goals. It wasn't just it wasn't just chasing on for three balls. It was sometimes he, 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 he would be near the touchline, he'd slalom through three players and you know, stroke the ball in the far corner. He barely missed a chance. But at Chelsea, he's barely even having a chance. And when he does, he's, he's invariably missing. So it's, I mean, it, I'm starting to look at it now as a situation where you know, Torres doesn't look like he's worth the, the indulgence. It doesn't look like it's worth Torres being a consideration in in a managerial appointment because. Torres, Benitez uh, was saying yesterday, we all need to help Fernando. Well, Fernando needs to help himself. But it seems, it's, I don't know, it seems like there might be something more underlying with the, with the whole thing. I, mean, I remember Matt saying it a few weeks ago on, on here that you know, he, he looks like a depressed footballer with a, with, with a small D. Um, and it, it's just, he, he does, he, he looks like the spark's gone completely. And we talk about flicking a switch, well, you know. You can, you can flick a switch, but it doesn't mean the thing will come on, does it? Uh, Roy, going back to, to the actual game, uh, obviously you get a point at home against the against the champions, we're top of the table. Um, main thing is, I think I don't think it's a bad point for Rafa because you know you kind of sort of break through that. Now you've got to 
can, can we call them minor London derbies? Well, Fulham, yes. West Ham, there is a, a bit of a spicy uh, uh, rivalry there. Um, those are Chelsea's next two games. Um, starting with Fulham, he's got to get three points. Otherwise, he's not gonna have, he doesn't have much of a margin of error as far as the no. support is concerned. He doesn't have any margin of error at all. I'd, I, I wondered whether he needed three wins. I think two wins and a draw would probably do it to to quell the the rancor in the stands a little bit. I don't think I don't think he'll ever win Chelsea's fans over at all. I don't think that that will happen. But yeah, two wins in the next two games would really help. Rafa's done what the, the first Tony Tony and I were talking about this before. The first thing Rafa will do when he goes into any club is make the defence work. It's not a coincidence that Chelsea kept a clean sheet yesterday. That's not a coincidence. That's what Rafa's main concern would have been. Would have been stop shipping goals, build from there. Fulham are a good side going forward. Lovely to watch, but they're they're vulnerable. You can score goals against Fulham. West Ham, even Torres. Maybe Torres, probably not. You probably don't need him to score goals if you don't matter and Hazard. And I think Oli's right. I think yeah, play play Oscar deep that might help. Push Ramirez out wide right that might that might help as well. I think Mikel's actually had quite a good season for Chelsea. He looks 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 improved substantially, John Obi Mikel. But yeah, the, Rafa does not have a margin for error. Just on Torres, I think to me the way that this looks is this is Abramovich's final gamble. If Benitez can't get Torres scoring, then I think Abramovich is probably prepared to write Torres off. But he wanted to do wants to do everything to make to give him that chance. And if if Benitez, whatever happens to Benitez in terms of staying for two weeks, three weeks, six months, seven months, ten years. If Torres isn't scoring the end of the season, I think they they they, they enact their their contract with Falcao, and then Torres, God knows what happens to him, but Torres goes. That that's the way this looks to me. West Brom are up to third in the table, and I want to throw this out there um, to to Ollie and, and throw my my theory out there is that I'm I'm not a hundred percent on board with why or how they're third in the table now. Um, I know there's people talk about the analytics revolution in Moneyball. Regular listeners will know that I'm skeptical about big chunks of that. But you look at West Brom, I think they have the fourth lowest possession percentage um, in the league. And you say, aha, but that's because they're a great counterattacking side. Well, no, they've only scored two goals all season from counterattacks. Haven't scored a lot of goals from set pieces either. Um, They don't make a lot of short passes. They don't make a lot of long passes. They they're the last in the league in terms of crosses. Um, I look at the, the numbers here, and there's no real explanation why West Brom should be third, apart from the fact that they managed to score a lot of goals from open play. And evidently, they're a good side. And maybe one clue is they've, they tend to score first in games, which obviously when you score first, things get easier. But it was suggested to me that maybe West Brom are have actually been kind of lucky um, this season. And I know it's anathema to say that. Uh, am I way off base there, Ollie? And not just, I mean, I think it's obvious they were very fortunate against Sunderland. But, I mean, but, 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 but is that a crazy and disrespectful thing to say? I think, it's, I think it's fair enough to say that they're not outstanding in anything that would um, come up in the numbers. I, I, I think they are, their strength is that they are an intelligent disciplined, organised team and, and they do attack in an intelligent way and you know, they they generally would keep sort of seven men behind the ball and attack very well with four. And it's and it's a very you know, it doesn't sound like rocket science, but it, you know, it, it's amazing how few teams there are in the Premier League who are 
defending well and defending in a disciplined manner and, and attacking efficiently. It, it's, you know, in terms of teams who've got that balance, not, not too many spring to mind, really. Um, they, they've got they've got some very good players. I, I think Malumbu is one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Jakob uh, has really impressed me. You know, he's somebody I haven't seen uh, haven't seen much of uh, previously, to put it mildly. Um, and, um, and their attacking players are, are good. They're strong, quick, powerful. Um, and they've got you know people like Brunt and, and Morrison, who are you know, nobody's ideas of a, a Premier League star. Um, you know, they, they are really decent players who are capable of doing a job every week and, and doing it well and I think I think Clark has, has moved them on from, from what they were under Hodgson and I think Hodgson did a good job there. everybody would agree with that but they, they just look better they, they, they look more intelligent I, I don't think they'll be in the top four or five at the, top of the, season, at the end of the season but they don't look like a team that's particularly going to run out of I think there's, I don't want to take issue with one thing Ollie said. I think well, apart from Jakob, who else have they signed since compared to last season? Compared no, to last it's season, generally it's, it's the same squad. Lukaku's been very good. Yeah, Lukaku's done okay. Miss, miss, sort of un, a little bit, sort of well, he hasn't unclinical in front of goal, yeah. should we say? And it's not as if Lukaku started every game. No, no, but basically it's the same side. So was Hodgson holding them back? No, I mean, they, I, I think if you if you look at the last few years. Um, I think they've operated exceptionally well in, in the transfer window. I mean, I, Gareth McCauley, I remember when, when, when they signed him, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? I'm like, oh, he must be a promising young Irish type. And then I realized that, no, he's actually, and I'm sorry, I don't follow the championship, okay, so shoot me now. I know he'd be, oh, he's captain of Ipswich, all right, who cares? It's Ipswich. Um, but I found out that this guy, this guy was, was, he was a window fitter until he was like 25 years old. And and then he goes to Lincoln, and yeah, I did read up on him, um, and Ipswich, and they sign him on a free transfer, and you think, like, this guy doesn't have a single minute of Premier League experience. He was doing a different job until a few years ago. And he slots in there uh, alongside Olsen, who's who's another one who, mm. you know, people in Sweden, Olsen was kind of written off a few years ago, you know. Um and they've been very effective, also because they've got this tremendous bunker in front of them of, of Jakob and, and Malumbu. Um, you, you look at Ben Foster, who I think as far as English goalkeepers go this season, I know Hart's had a horrible year. I would still take Hart over him. Mm. But I can't think of another Englishman who's any good as a goalkeeper or good enough, or who's better than Foster at this stage. And you look at these pieces together, Peter Owen and Vingy, a couple million pounds. And I'm asking myself, is this just kind of like this, not good fortune, but this sort of things that, this idea that things are going their way. Is it not some kind of cosmic reward for the fact that they have all their ducks in the row? They've been a wonderful, wonderfully run club for, for a few years, and they deservedly finish mid-table the last two years. And this season, they'll probably deservedly finish, you know, top eight, maybe, or, or maybe higher. Well, I think if you look at clubs that have achieved similar feats, and, you know, Charlton Athletic under Alan Kerbishley done amazing things. Um, you know, everyone fighting for their shirt. Who? Alan Kerbishley's Charlton. Bolton, Bolton under Allardyce. I'm sorry, guys. Well, I'm why, why are we drawing a comparison between these teams? No, and, we're, we're like talking Kirby's about a decade ago, and like no, you know. because I played for a club uh, at Millwall in the late '80s that we were third up until March, and we were a bunch of what you decide some window guys and whatever. I came out of non-league. We had a few other guys and guys you'd never heard of because they played lower league football came into the team. But what we had was a unity within the group that everybody fought for each other, and I think. 
think West Brom have got that with some talent. And, you know, people like Shane Long. Shane Long couldn't get in the Reading side four or five years ago. He was in and out of the team. He was off flown here and there. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now he looks a really good striker in the Premiership. But they've Why doesn't it show up in the stats? Is it, is it, is it that we're kind well, of stupid stats. when we talk about oh, the analytics yeah. revolution? But you've, you, the one stat you've left out, they, they've the actually... Points. Yeah, I know. It's the one no, stat that matters. Yeah, but, and, and they're, they're not conceding a shipload of goals. They're, at home, they've been a very good side. Uh, if you talk about all the, play, the teams about being lucky, I don't really think you can say, apart from the first 30 minutes against Liverpool, which they eventually won 3-0, where they survived a lot, a lot of chances by Liverpool, uh, that they missed... West Brom have really, for me, dominated most of the home games they've played. Well, I would suggest funny, that if it, Hank, sorry, one, one thing there, right? I think they had the bulk of the possession twice um, this season mm. in, against their opposition. And to me, it's a bit unusual because they have actually a lot of guys who are, who are, who are good on the ball. Mm. What I don't, what doesn't add up to me is if you don't concede and you tend to score first, as, as West Brom do, wouldn't you then want to keep the ball? as a defensive tactic, look to hit on the break since you've got a very fast striker in Odovigny. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, it just doesn't quite but maybe add up. What, what, what my friends in the analytics business would say yes. is that if, you're, if the numbers don't show you why they're doing well, then you're not looking at the right numbers. Okay, but the, 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 your, your friends, if I may say so, um, are perhaps just kind of like morons who just who just kind of look for numbers that kind of prove what's already happened regardless no, of what. I mean, this, is, this is a bigger subject. This it's, is it's one thing to say, to say that, yeah, you're possibly not looking at the right numbers or maybe they will just regress to the mean, right? Yeah, well, I, I suspect West Brom will regress to the mean. I think there's no question about that. They will, they won't, no offense to West Brom, they won't finish third. I don't think anyone's expecting them to finish yeah. third. They will regress to the mean because that's what happens. But the, that just because they don't have the most possession or they don't stop from counter attacks or they don't have the most corners or whatever doesn't mean you're looking at the right numbers. If the numbers don't say it, there will be a reason for it. 
Now, I don't know what that is. And but it can simply be probability it. and happenstance. Yeah. Luck, luck, luck plays a massive part. Well, luck no, will luck, play a I huge mean, part, or circumstance, or whatever you want to call it. No. So the serendipity. I mean, it, you, 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 you mentioned those games. I, I mean, I, unlike you, I haven't watched every single one of uh, West Brom's games this season, but I did see them against Liverpool against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I think they could have lost those games, and I think they could have easily lost this game against Sunderland. Now, you can say that... Um, that, no, it's it's not luck. But you know, when Mignolet makes two mistakes on yeah. two shots, when Liam Ridgewell, I'm, I'm not going to go and crucify Ridgewell and say he dived and he's a cheat, whatever. But I think it's pretty obvious he wasn't touched. I, I think he actually just kind of mm. stopped all of a sudden, anticipating the tackle, and just kind of lost his balance and fell over. But whatever, that should have never been a penalty. And then they score a fourth goal that's on the counterattack. As you know, I'm not a huge Martin O'Neill fan, but I think if I'm O'Neill, I say, hey, gee, I kind of got jobbed in that game. Um, you put those three wins together, that's nine points that they have, which they could just as easily not have, and then we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. If you look at the, the West Brom Chelsea game, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, going back to the, the stats issue, I mean, stats don't measure things like organisation, concentration at set pieces, winning, winning the, the headers that really matter, winning the, you know, winning the battles all over the pitch, and and. You know, performing with a with an intelligence and a determination that maybe more gifted opponents don't, and I, th- I think that's what West Brom have, have, have done generally. I'm not sort of, sort of calling them a, a plucky underdog team who are scrapping for everything, but but they are playing intelligently and they are supplementing that by by being a, a good team that that doesn't give much away, that, that attacks in a, a, an intelligent manner, and you know, I, I think these are the things that perhaps don't show up in stats because the, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are many players whose um, uh, who, great virtues wouldn't particularly show up well in stats. I, I would think Shane Long is probably one of them because he's very good at hold-up play, he's very good at running the channels, he's very good at you know, laying the ball off simply and then perhaps doing nothing else for 10 minutes. He, but I think West Brom have got a really good balance and, and uh, you know, although we can say... Um, They've got nine points that they um, that they could just as easily not have got. I'm sure, I'm sure there will have been moments in in the games where they did drop points where where they could just as easily have picked points up. A flip side of this is that um, if you're Martin O'Neill, you you can feel annoyed this season that you didn't get points and. I think there were other games this year where maybe they felt they should have had more. I'm thinking of the Everton game as well. I think I have this as two wins in 18. Rory Smith, who dislikes O'Neill intensely, evidently, says it's two wins in 20. Um, that is what you said, Roy. Yes, two wins in I 20. I think it's two It's two wins in 20 or something like that, yeah. yeah why not two wins in 50? But uh, whatever the case, uh, a lot of draws, not many wins. They've been riding the Stephen Fletcher bandwagon. I think the last couple of games they've tried to attack more. Um, hasn't fully worked out. Um, he's got nothing to worry about. Has he? Well, if they keep on not winning games, he does, yeah, to be honest. I, I thought it was weird. I, can't remember which, I think it was after the, the, the weird time derby. He said that, that his creative players weren't working well enough as though it was their fault. And you sort of think, well, that's your job as the manager to get that out, get, to put them in a system where they can flourish. Mm. I don't know, the Sunderland are kind of a nothing team to me. I really like Fletcher. I think Fletcher's a brilliant footballer. But there's just, they, they, they are not a very good side. We, we can't end it on this note of no, total no. negativity with him calling Sunderland a nothing team and having a go in. <laughs> O'Neill. Will you stick up for your fellow Irishman? No. 
Okay, no, okay. No, Ollie. I have an eye to you for one reason. Well, uh, I'm sorry, but if you we're going to look at a, a manager that up until the Everton game, only one player had scored in the f- what first ten games of the season. One player in his team has managed to get a goal. You talked about stats earlier. Well, that stat is ridiculous because any team organised well enough will find goal scores, whether it's a centre half, full back, midfield, or or centre forward. You should, as a manager, be productive and making your team score goals and. For me, that was the biggest criticism I could say. Ollie, it seems like nobody in the studio has something nice to say about Martin O'Neill and Sunderland. Um, I, I will be forced to do it unless you do it, so please help me out. Well, I, I think if you look at the stats, uh, as, as we're so keen to do, um, as you say, Gab, that they have played in a more attacking manner in the past few weeks. They, they have seemed to be... Um, uh, devoting more time to trying to create chances and so on. I, I, I'm just really surprised that, that they're as poor as they are this season because I, I would have said a team that added a goal scorer um, such as Fletcher, a team that added a, uh, an, a, a sort of tricky uh, two-dimensional, three-dimensional uh, wide player like Adam Johnson would would do well given what Sunderland had already which was a a tight compact organised team and I'm surprised that they've been so poor because there doesn't seem to be any real reason for it you would think they would be a better team than West Brom but on the evidence so far they're, they're nothing like it All right in our debate this week um Queen's Park Rangers have a new manager. Now, we had to go through this sort of charade whereby he was going to pretend to go to the Ukraine and he got all his buddies involved on television, all this. I'm told, I understand that the Ukrainians are going to pay him 10 bazillion billion a year and Harry's very popular in Ukraine and blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm assuming nobody really bought any of that. Anybody believe for one minute that he was going to become the Ukraine manager, or that Paul Stratford had even been to the Ukraine. I, be- I, be- I don't know if I if I want to allege that Paul Stratford did not go to the Ukraine, but I, I think he may have gone to the Ukraine. Yeah, I, d- I don't think Harry Redknapp ever had any intention of becoming a Ukraine manager. No. Okay. The, the, the weird thing about it was that the, the, the news was leaked by the Ukrainian FA on on, the, on their website, so um, that that would dilute my skepticism very slightly. Yes, because it's very normal for an FA to uh, reveal on their website who they're having talks with, right? Well, I'm not... In the I remember, I remember the, I got, I going to the FA.com and, and, and seeing that press release and saying, ha-ha, everybody thinks it's going to be Harry Redknapp to replace Fabio, but no, we're secretly having talks with Roy Hodgson, Teehee. You remember that, Ollie? Well, they, they, they didn't mention Redknapp, but they, but they did... They did put up a statement on that Sunday night saying we are now in talks with um, with Roy Hodgson and we hope to make an appointment. So it's, um, I, I, I don't think Eric was ever going to go there. I, I, I believe that conversations were had and, and in, in that much at least it, it was genuine. QPR bottom of the table, I think much has been made. Redknapp's a very popular guy. Um, He's people, you know, with this, he's developed this Harry Houdini um, um, sort of persona because uh, he took over uh, two teams that were in the bottom three and kept them up. Although, to be fair, one of them were Spurs, who I don't think anybody, even the most negative um, Ned out there, would think that Spurs were going to go down that season. I'm looking at Skinner, who's Mr. Negative, and he's, and he's shaking his head, uh, and a Spurs fan. Um, but the other one was Southampton, where, of course, he spent a lot of money, and it didn't work out. But um, he's going to keep QPR up, right? 
Anybody have any doubt whatsoever about that? No, I, I think he'll... No, so you agree he's definitely going to keep, him, keep no, them up? No, I think he'll do what he always does. He'll go into the market, he'll buy players that he thinks will do him a job, and Harry is a manager that goes to try and win games. I think there's any doubt that he sets his team up adventurous and looks to get three points more often than not. Um, but if you're going to do that, why not do it with these players? Because, I mean, they're, they're good players. But I, Harry's I never done that. Harry's always brought in his own personal choices. People that he thinks, I'm sure we're walking, and I think that one of the first things he'd have said to, to Fernandez, Tony Fernandez, is that I will want this. Uh, comes at a cost. Because he's always gone, and he's never gone to a club and not changed personnel. At the same time, they can't be spending another sort of 50 million in the hope of, um, in the hope of staying up. I think it would be madness because they have got good players who have so far not been playing for each other and I think in some cases you sort of need the head, heads banging together to, um, to, to, to to start giving something to the course I think they need a striker don't they if you look at it I mean Zamora and Johnson are injured Zamora, Bobby Zamora doesn't look like he fancies football anymore Andy Johnson, you cannot, no, I mean, no offence Andy Johnson, you can't really rely on him to be fit. He's never fit. So th- I, I wouldn't be surprised if Harry goes out and signs a striker, which will be Jermaine Defoe or Peter Trout, so that's who he always signs. Um, that, w- that, that would be understandable. They need a centre-back because Anton Ferdinand's dreadful, um, and that's, that would make sense to me. But I think You're not a big Clint Hill fan, then? Clint Hill is, a, is decent. Stefan Mbia, who thought he was signing for Glasgow Rangers? I'd, mm. I quite like Mbia. He's not a bad player. Clint Hill... You have Ryan Nelson, limited. very good. Nelson's okay. Nelson's okay. But I think the, the bigger issue with QPR is not the manager. I mean, I don't think anyone can really argue that Hughes had to go because it had been poor. I think Hughes is a decent manager, but it, they'd been poor. Harry's a, a sensible appointment, as Cass says. He'll keep them up. The question is, Tony Fernandez's reign. You look at the, the, the way that they've bought players is ridiculous. They spent loads in January. They go out and buy players in two tranches in the summer, putting them, not massive fees, but ridiculous wages for a club of 18, whose average date is 18,000. They then... By the way, that's not really their fault. They can't... I mean, their stadiums are only... No, 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 no. But you, you spend, to an extent, you do, you, that has to be a consideration of how much you spend. Julio Cesar's on £96,000 a week. Neda Manu is on 46 grand a week. That's, it's, it's irresponsible. But the other thing is, Fernandez has fallen for Harry Redknapp's sort of Ukraine trick. Who, this is a successful <laughs> businessman. Why is he being such a moron? I think they really, I mean, that worries me. From, I like QPR as a club, but they're good to deal with. Yeah. They've got some great, I mean, good players. I like Fowlin as a player, I like Granero as a player, I like Diakite as a player. They've got good footballers mm. there. But Tony Fernandez has to look at his ownership model because well, it, it's ridiculous. There's been so many people in football like that. They come in as successful businessmen and they'll make really bad decisions. Um, I, I just can't see, and I know all he said that, you know, working with the group that they've already got, I just can't see Harry not introducing new faces. He's always gone about his business. And by the way, we're talking about players who've been bad. Jisan Park has been unbelievably bad for them. He, he, you know, he's come from Manchester United. You know, okay, they've only paid two and a what two and a bit million for him, but his performances for me were unrecognisable. I mean, I know he's always been a hard-working, you know, pretty average squad player at Man United, but his performances at QPR have been anything but that. What about Neda Manua, though? Yeah, um, well, there's... Been, yeah. Neda Manua has GCSEs, let's all remember that. It just seems to me that because of that, I mean, it, it seems like there was, a, there was a period this season that because of Anton Ferdinand and, and, and the John Terry case and because of Neda Manua and the, the fool with the iPad... Um, People were kind of giving these guys a pass and saying, like, oh, it's a good idea. Let's pay them a lot of money. But um, 
I think they've been terrible. And, and the fact that he used to play Clint Hill, who, you know, for all the love in the world, is yeah. you know, is a limited player, and Ryan Nelson, who's the size of a house and, and, and 35 years old, and they, they perform better than, you know, these other guys who've obviously had injuries and whatever. Um, I think that, that that tells a lot about some of them. I, knew, I mean, Anu is kind of okay. He's kind of, he's all right. Nedim Anu, he's not brilliant. He's not a 50,000-pound a week player. He's a squad player. But the, the, that's the other thing with UPR and Hughes particularly. Kia Jarabshian. Now, I, I've been told that Kia Jarabshian is in no way an agent and does not represent players and does not do deals for QPR. He's an advisor. There's no question that he has been involved with QPR's transfer policy. Name me a club where Kia Jarabshian has been an advisor on transfer policy that has had any long-term success. He won a title Corinthians, gets them relegated. Gets in at West Ham, gets them relegated. Gets huge kicked out of City, gets huge kicked out of QPR. Why do people keep employing him? Well, City won the title a year later, and I think you'll find that. When when Jarabshian was, was persona non grata at City? No, but Carlos Tevez was still there. No, they really would it because they didn't they? Thank you, Ollie. Okay, I was, I was sorry, Kia. I, I, I tried there. Um, I, even I can't staunch the negativity from uh, these rabid dogs here. Um, this, but this is a different form of criticism. I'm not the, the normal. But, but can I ask a question though, about this? About, uh, no, can I just finish yeah. my point? I'm not criticizing Kia because he's bad for football or whatever. No, 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 that's no. irrelevant. He's just I, made bad choices. I, is think what you're saying. I think he's not very good at his job. If Kia hypothetically were a director of football. This would have been grounds for sacking him along with Mark Hughes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, here's my thing about about um, about Hughes is I, I mean I think Mark Hughes has a lot to give in terms of management. I think he made some horrible mistakes at QPR, but um, I can think of uh, uh, one manager who uh, absolutely stunk up the joint in his first job and in his second job uh, and in his third job in one decent season then he got relegated the following year and that manager went on to win two Liga titles a UEFA Cup and a Champions League and that manager of course is Rafael Benitez there you go we learned from our mistakes all right, time now for some quick, quick, quick hits. Liverpool held a nil-nil draw at Swansea. Rory, should Rodgers be happy? And should, should Jose Enrique's goal have stood? Uh, Brendan Rodgers should be happy, yes, indeed, because it's a good point. Liverpool are unbeaten in, I think, eight now or something. They're, they look solid. They're not conceding goals. It's something to build on, and they've got a relatively kindly December. Get through Spurs away on Wednesday, and I think the season might take a little bit of a, 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 pick, a pick up. Bonus question, very quick answer. Now, if you were a Liverpool fan, which you are, would you swap Brendan for Rafa no comment <laughs> you really won't answer that question I think it's hilarious I suspect Tony Evans probably would Manchester United beat QPR 3-1 but they've now fallen behind in 9 of 13 Premier League games Ollie, this can't be part of Sir Alex's master plan can it feign weakness by going a goal down and then coming back and obliterating the opposition what's wrong well, it's clearly not part of the plan but I think it's probably part of opposition managers plan to attack what is a very or fairly relatively vulnerable Man United team as I think teams can get at them in the early stages and then over the course of the game I think things uh, you know generally return to normal and United get, get a hold in the game and score goals but I, I just don't think this is a very good United team they'll probably finish with 90 odd points again but I, I, I think that's more a reflection of the league than on United Hey, how this Tottenham Hotspur question get in here? Was it you, Skinner? Spurs batter West Ham 3-1, and your old pal Jermaine Defoe scores two, and looks like a miniature Marco van Basten. Cass, are you on board with AVB now? 
Uh, I think Van Basten's a bit of a, an exaggeration, but he's taking every chance he's getting at the moment. Looking sharp, AVB is, I think he's fortunate to have the, the type of players that the way he wants to play, pace out wide, you know, players that can get past. See, very few wingers now uh, who can deliver and give chances like to Defoe and be creative. But one thing I did read on Defoe of the weekend, he wants to do I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here after his playing days, which right. was quite strange. Perfect. I, I assume that show will be cancelled by the time he retires, unless it's next week. But hey, who knows? Arsenal draw nil-nil at Villa. Wenger gets booed for replacing Olivier Giroud with Francis Coughlin, which incenses our colleague Pete Lansley, who had very angry words in the paper today. Rory, the Gunners have a massive new kit and stadium deal, and Ivan Gazeta says there's money to spend. Will Wenger spend it, and how should he spend it? Uh, Wenger will not spend it. No, he'll no doubt buy a couple more players, but he won't do anyone that's spending that 150 million quid because he doesn't like it. How should he spend it? He should spend it on a team. The problem with Arsenal is they've got lots of, sort of quite good players, but no one really outstanding apart from Kazoo. They look very sort of, they're decent, Arsenal. So I don't know, the, the problem is, I guess, you've got to upgrade so many players that you probably would need to spend 150 million quid to improve that side. Or just sign a bunch of Uruguayans. You'd be good with that, right? You could sign a lot of Uruguayans. That would work. All four Spanish teams are through to the knockout stage of the Champions League. All three Bundesliga teams are leading their groups. Meanwhile, City are out, and barring an act of God, Chelsea are on their bike too. Ollie, uh, is there a reason for the Premier League to be, to be worried about its uh, uh, hegemony? real or imagined? Uh, I would expect that the Premier League and individual clubs would have been worried about that for the past three years. I've been banging the drum for three years saying this Premier League is not as strong as it was or at least the the very top teams aren't as strong as they they were between 2006 and 2009 where they dominated the Champions League without winning it too many times. But they uh, you you, you look at the stats you look at the results English teams are not the force that they were in, uh, in Europe in the previous few seasons, and it's it's blindingly obvious. Most of them look like they're in transition, and um, City are probably the one outstanding team yet. They're, they're struggling because they're in tough groups. I should tell you that uh, Rory rolled his eyes while you were speaking, but don't worry. Um, I'll deal with him later. Nigel Atkins was supposed to be going the way of Mark Hughes. Uh, now Southampton have won two in a row. Cass, tell me why the Saints are going to be all right. Well, their goalkeepers stopped making individual mistakes and giving the other teams the lead for a start. I mean, look, they they were very unfortunate against Man United. The way they played against them uh, at St. Mary's um, would have given a lot of hope for Nigel Atkins. And then they go away and have a great performance at Queen's Park Rangers and followed up by playing an in- injury-plagued Newcastle. And uh, a bit of confidence has shown because the way they played yesterday tells me the team is uh, obviously starting to believe now that they got a chance and uh, Nigel Atkins has to take a lot of credit for that Plus as Rory's about to tell you Gaston Ramirez is about to live up to the hype Oh he's going to explode onto, onto the South Coast um, Gab one for you uh, I know all four Spanish clubs have, have advanced in the Champions League Yes because does I you told just, you a few minutes Did you just ago. ask Ollie about it um, and apparently all three Bundesliga teams are leading their groups but I'm not fooled about La Liga it's still a, t- a two horse race isn't it Yes it is a two horse race but it's not the two horses most of our listeners might be thinking of Rory as you well know Atletico Madrid are having an absolute storm around Madrid now 11 points back uh, after uh, their defeat at Betis um, but Atletico are just three points behind Barcelona and might I add this is the Barcelona team that have uh, made the best ever start to a La Liga season so um, I think it's a credit to Diego Simeone it's not just all about um, Radamel Falcao and Arda Turan up front 
I think defensively they, they've been fantastic. Um, I'm a huge fan of Simeone, and now that David Beckham likes him as well, I think we can all get behind Simeone and as neutrals in the holy war between Real and Barca, all cheer on Los Colchoneros. Yes, we're all Atletico fans here, right? Yeah, you've got to be. You've got to be. Damn straight. I'm sure they've got some... They, yeah, they have a Uruguayan player. There you go. So you love them too. Yeah. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email, as many of you do every week, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. You can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your analysis, your web chats, your blogs. Uh, we're all on Twitter, so you can... Are you, you still a true to Twitter, Cass? No. No, you've abandoned Twitter. Did they drive you out? Too much abuse. Too much abuse. There you see. From Big- me to them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tony Cascarino, of course, one of those uh, former pros who's been banned for sending abusive tweets. Uh, but Rory, Ollie, and myself are all on there. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.